Welcome back to another episode of Heart to Heart. I'm Dr. Columbus Batiste, and I'm here to have conversations that can heal a stressed and broken heart. For those of you who don't know, I am an interventional cardiologist, a lifestyle advocate, and I'll tell you, I'm so excited to be with you today. And we're going to jump at it. This time, I'll tell you, you have me solo. Uh, there's no other guests. It's just me. It's a heart to heart. It's me, my heart to yours. And I'll tell you, this is a month of gratitude, and I have so much to be grateful for. But on this particular episode, this being November, uh, Diabetes Awareness Month, Alzheimer's Awareness Month, I'm choosing to really try and focus my attention on Alzheimer's, excuse me, on diabetes. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to look to do is we're going to look to have a, a firm discussion. Now, what you see up here is I want you to, to like and follow me at Healthy Heart Doc on Instagram and on Facebook, and you'll see this QR code. You're welcome to scan it, and we'll talk about that more, about my upcoming book, Selfish, A Cure for a Stressed and Broken Heart. And this is going to be the theme for today's discussion, really, as it relates to what? diabetes diabetes so let's dig into this some of you may or may not be aware uh, but you know i went on this journey this is me many 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 moons ago with my dad right it's my first hero my superhero my father columbus senior and you know i grew up watching him insulin and insulin syringes and that was just part of the normal daily life with him i remember looking at his, his hands and seeing like the loss of the muscle from the the peripheral neuropathy, I saw all those things that were that were there on a regular basis with him, and it really truly made me aware of diabetes. And and as I went through med school, I realized the fact that that his health continued to just decline, and it was to the point where he ended up passing away as a result of the complications of diabetes. And that was a really uh, earmarked time in my life. It made me shift and move over to a different zone in terms of the way in which I deliver care. And this is really the, the scenario. I thought that I was destined to live sicker and sooner, just like my dad, until I uncovered the fact that I wasn't alone. What I realized quickly is the fact that diabetes is rampant throughout the entirety of the world. We see over 700 million individuals have diabetes is estimated by 2045. We're seeing that really, here's a key. Every 17 seconds, an American is diagnosed with diabetes, right? This is what the, the Journal of Managed Care told us back in 2018. We're seeing the rise that's there. We're seeing this really as it relates to the total population continues to develop this inflammatory complex scenario that's there. It's as if something's in the air or in the water. Uh, we see that this is, is more common as we get to be older, age 45 and older compared to younger populations. We're seeing this, that one out of every four healthcare dollars, we talk about what is uh, the healthcare crises, diabetes is the root cause. But we say, well, what's a cardiologist talking about? Something that's an endocrinology type of problem, which means the study of hormones as diabetes is a relationship with hormones. It's because diabetes is truly a vascular disease. And what we know is that adults with diabetes have roughly two to threefold increased risk of heart attacks and strokes compared to someone who doesn't have diabetes. That's why it's so significant. We know that diabetes, that it remains as a much higher rate in the United States compared to other comparable countries, which means countries of wealth, of means, who should be able to do better, that we still are amongst those who have the highest burden of diseases, what the studies are telling us. 
But here's the most troubling part, especially being a father of a soon-to-be 19-year-old and a 17-year-old. We're seeing that the trends of diabetes is increasing in our young adults, our youth. As a kid growing up, it was always called juvenile onset and adult onset diabetes. Those terms are essentially gone. Now, what we know is we know these rates are increasing, but they're increasing in segments of our population at greatest degree of risk. Those are minority and ethnic groups, which is why this predicted the increased cardiovascular burden in many of those groups. And we see inside of, of the black and non and Hispanic groups, we're seeing the higher uh, than average rates of being diagnosed with diabetes. This is troubling. This is troubling. When we look at the burden of healthcare expenditures, African-Americans are four times more likely than those of Caucasian descent to have complications of diabetes, meaning amputations where because of lack of blood flow, remember I told you it's vascular disease, it ends up in resulting in having to uh, have an amputation. The question is why? Why has this happened? Why is America having the increased rates as we reflect in this November? Well, I, many of my conversations, I talk about the burden of stress, something we all can, can relate to. This idea of stress where it's a, a sequence of our demands minus resources is what this equation is. And states have told us that increased burden of psychological stress, there almost is no other type, right? It's in our mind. Uh, it, it mobilizes this biological response that's implicated in type 2 diabetes, including the release of blood sugar, glucose, and lipids into the circulation, leading to this inflammatory cytokine expression with increased blood pressure. There's no doubt that our mindset can really predict the occurrence of these, these ill effects that are on us, that repeated or sustained stress exposure leads to this chronic allostatic load. So what that means is this burden as your body is trying to withstand this, this idea of stress that leads to dysregulation of glucose metabolism. What that means in simple layman's terms, your body can no, no longer handle it. And this neuroendocrine function and low inflammatory state continues to persist, and it's it's comparable to the cortisol release. And we see this over and over. We're seeing too as well that we're seeing that this, this idea of workplace stress, this stress from work and finances that leads to or increased risk of type 2 diabetes, that when we're stressed, right, and we're trying to figure out what is the health behaviors, our behaviors seem to shift. We tend to be unsure of what to do in terms of our food choices, our choice to, to, to move less, right? And adherence to medication also contributes to type 2 diabetes. It led one environmental, uh, uh, this professor of kinesiology, Rebecca Hansen, who was director of childhood disparities and research center at the University of Michigan. What she said is we think environmental stress around us, right? Uh, and the effect it has on your biology and behavior is a key factor or determinant in some of the differences in disease states we see. She was reflecting on this impact that happens that leads inside of areas of social economic stress, this increased burden. And so this is why studies have told us that perceived stress increases the risk of diabetes. They've told us that as you're trying to move up this ladder, depending on where you're at on socioeconomic ladder, you know what I mean, whether or not you're able to drive a, a Bentley versus if you have to drive a, a Honda Civic, not by choice, but without necessity. Right, that if you're able to go to Harvard versus if you have to go to a community college, not because of, of, uh, of choice, but by necessity or lack of resources, that when you look at income, education, occupation, 
It shows a graded association with diabetes and complications, meaning that the lower you are socioeconomically, the greater your risk for chronic disease, specifically type 2 diabetes. It tells us that our health equals resiliency divided by stress. This stress can be financial. It can be environmental. That our, The higher our stress, the poorer our health. And what do many of us do when we turn to when we get faced with stress? Uh, we simply turn to those comfort foods because we understand that stress is simply dessert spilled backwards. And this is a component of what I characterize as nutritional stress. We understand nutritional stress, yes, indeed, is eating disease-forming foods, but it's also uh, um, not eating health-promoting foods. It's what we understand. And so when we look at studies, this is where Lancet told us in his landmark study, told us that poor dietary choices a major risk factor for deaths in the majority of countries across the world, attributing to diabetes, high blood pressure, and cardiovascular events. But here's the thing. When you start really parsing through more of the data, it told us, Gabriel and, and colleagues told us, they examined neighborhoods, social, physical environments, remember? And type 2 diabetes, they looked specifically at African-Americans in the Jackson Heart Study based out of uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And they found that higher density of what we now know as called food swamps. Higher unfavorable uh, food stores was associated with increase by 34% in type two diabetes. We also know that eating fast food two or more times a week increases the risk by 27% for type two diabetes. Other studies told us that the fact that consumption of these restaurants, these quick serve foods, whether or not it's hamburgers or fried chicken, fried fish and Chinese food, right, were independently associated with increased risk of type 2 diabetes. These are the things, the substance that chronic disease is made of and that this incidence ratio uh, uh, for greater than two meals per week increased your risk by 40 percent right for hamburgers but here's the thing for people who say well i'm eating i'm not eating red meat i'm eating just chicken fried chicken 68 percent for fried chicken is what this study told us uh, the american journal of clinical nutrition all right so there's significant risks that are there you say well okay i just grill a little bit at home and for those people out there who are not plant-based and the study uh, published back in diabetes care uh, through Harvard, it basically told us that high heat cooking methods such as broiling, barbecuing, grilling, roasting, deep frying that turkey, right? Instead of sparing that life of the sentient being, these, these uh, to prepare beef and chicken increases the risk, increases the risk, right? After of, of type two diabetes is what we see on a regular basis. So another study in 2019 told us the fact that uh, in a mere 10% increase of ultra-processed foods in your diet is linked to 15% higher chance of developing type 2 diabetes. What about sugar, sweetened beverages? This other study, uh, Animals of Internal Medicine, told us that after adjusting for compounding variables, including dietary factors, the incidence, which means the likelihood of developing it, for two or more soft, uh, developing diabetes was 24% higher for individuals who drank two or more soft drinks per day. That's common. That's common. So when growing up, I used to drink a lot of the soft, uh, soft drinks, but yet I was somehow thinking that, that it was my destiny 
to develop diabetes in the question was was it truly my destiny or was it really a matter of fact of my lifestyle my habits that were uh playing a role when you look at large-scale st uh, studies like the Adventist health study what they demonstrated is the fact that the increased burden and risk of animal protein associated with insulin resistance right and this is one of the things that leads to diabetes when we look at well how do these things eating these fried foods and fast foods really lead to this what studies are telling us, this wonderful study out of the University of uh, California, uh, my home state, San Diego, told us the possible correlation between a high-calorie fast food breakfast and developing a leaky gut syndrome, disrupting the, the lining of the colon, the intestines, and leading to inflammatory states that lead to diabetes. We know, too, as well about the increased intramyocellular lipids. All right, that that leads to the association not only with obesity but also with insulin resistance. Back to that insulin resistance. Still, everything is starting to 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 roll together as we're seeing this blockage of the ability of insulin from being able to work because of the clogging of the cells. This is leading to a lot of the issues in the development of diabetes. That saturated fat, which we predominantly get from animal proteins readily gets into our cells and can block the glucose contributing to this insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. And so what the authors recognize that people who eat animal proteins have higher levels of intramyocellular lipids. And this saturated fat is one of the main drivers of insulin resistance. You also can't avoid something called advanced glycation in products. It's this bridging, right, of your protein and your sugars that happens under high heat from animal proteins. And you see when you cook this, you tend to, especially at very high and dry heats, this triggers this oxidative stress. Remember, health equals resiliency divided by stress. Your nutrition can add to that stress, and it forms this oxidative stress and inflammation that contributes to insulin resistance. And this has been associated with diabetes, November Awareness Month, Alzheimer's, November Awareness Month, and cardiovascular disease, it should be every month, right? As well as aging. We also know another area is from the form of nitrates. And these are commonly used as preservatives in meat products, especially your processed meats like sausages, hot dogs, and, and other cured meats. And that these, uh, these meats contain 50% more nitrates than unprocessed meats. These are converted to something called nitrosamines in meat, which generate free radicals. These are the things that attack the body, right? That you need antioxidants to help resist and offset things. And this leads to oxidative stress, inflammation, and insulin resistance. So we're starting to get a picture, but we look also here. Now, Iron Man is a good thing, but heme iron is not, right? We love Iron Man, but we don't love heme iron. Heme iron, it's found in animal meat. Non-heme iron is found in plant source meats, right? And so this heme iron, it's another form of a pro-oxidant, which means that it triggers free radicals, another form of stress on the body and inflammation. This interferes with the storage of, of blood sugar in the, uh, and causes the liver to release glucose or blood sugar into the blood. And this is indeed what contributes to these higher levels that lead to problems inside. So we understand this. We understand that dietary protein, it's associated with, with insulin, uh, um, high intake of dietary animal protein. And it's been shown to reduce the insulin sensitivity by as much as 25%. We understand that there's things called endocrine disrupting chemicals 
that uh, and these these chemicals are commonly found in meat sources, animal sources, and they've been shown to disrupt our endocrine system, our function. This is our hormonal system that causes insulin resistance and impaired beta cell function. What's the cause of diabetes? We're seeing it. It's starting to uncover as I'm presenting this information. And so as I uncover this, I realized that, listen, my DNA is not my destiny. And what I realized quickly is the fact that, guess what? I need to get selfish. Selfish in order to, as I say inside the book, a cure for a stressed and broken heart. But we're saying in order to prevent and reverse diabetes, if I get selfish. So what do you mean by that, Doc? The S in selfish stands for spiritual. Uh, not necessarily religious, but level of mindfulness. It can be in terms of prayer and meditation and deep breathing. We look at the E for exercise, the L for love, forgiveness, gratitude, the release of oxytocin, uh, F for food, real food, whole food, plant-rich food, the intimacy of relationships is the I, the S for sleep or rest, and the H for humor, for humor. We look at spiritual, where the studies tell us about that. When we look at randomized controlled trials, which means they group patients into two groups, one of which they apply a therapy, the other they don't, and watch what happens. And they looked at transcendental meditation components of the med, uh, of the the and the components of metabolic syndrome in patients with coronary disease. And they found improved plasma glucose and insulin levels were observed in those who underwent the mindfulness versus just the health education alone. And that was statistically significant. It tells us we understand that our prefrontal cortex, this area of our brain here, is our reasoning portion. And by meditating in prayer, what that does, it increases the thickness that allows us to be able to be able to, to make rational thoughts and to be able to make our plans and follow through with them. There's power in taking time away, lowering, reducing that the level of stress hormones that are there. What's another area? We look at exercise, the E for exercise. Now we know there's power that's there. Studies have told us beyond belief that exercise improves blood sugar control in type 2 diabetes, reducing the risk factors, helps with weight loss. All these things are powerful. We look at when you do a combination of aerobic plus resistance. I'll tell you, resistance training is important as we grow more mature and years lived because we are, have a tendency to lose our muscle mass. And so as we engage in this, it increases our basal metabolic rate, helps us to metabolize. And that's why studies have shown an improved in hemoglobin A1C, which is a reflection of how many of your red blood cells have basically become sugar oxidized or crystallized inside of the uh, bloodstream that's there. But here's the thing. You don't have to do all the crazy stuff. You don't have to, you don't have to go on Peloton. You don't have to do CrossFit. You can simply walk. Just simply walk. And this, this study looked at individuals, the effectiveness of three 15-minute uh, bouts of walking after eating compared to sustained and showing that short intermittent bouts of post-meal walking are an effective way of controlling. It is the cheat code. Simply get out there and move. Some studies have shown that as few as two minutes can help lower the blood sugar levels. We look at the other thing I love to talk about is getting neat with it. Non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That means standing, taking the stairs, parking further away, climbing, uh, doing whatever you have to, vacuuming. All those things are powerful in terms of improving the insulin sensitivity, decreasing your weight circumference, and improving your overall well-being. That when you engage in this, this is why studies have shown in comparison lifestyle compared to a medication that's commonly used called metformin showed a decrease in the incidence of diabetes 
And this wasn't even looking at adoption of a full whole food plant-based diet. Imagine what would happen if we adopted a whole food plant-based diet, but then we juxtapose that with our activity and our sleep and our rest and the power that it would have in transforming. Uh, what's the L stand for? Love, love, love. We all love love, don't we? And so one of the things I like to talk about is that when we get the tend to be friend, when we're around people, what that does, it's empowering to us. We get this release of oxytocin that begins to happen. And this is from the, the love hormone. And it's been shown in some studies to, 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 to help change in the glucose metabolism, the insulin sensitivity, and increase the uptake of, of glucose into the cells. And so we know that there's power just by bonding, by loving. But here's one of the things we, anyone who's loved anybody or anything understands that love is no longer a noun. It is an action word. It means like forgiveness. Trust me, married 25 years. The wife has forgiven me plenty of times. And so we look at forgiveness. Research has showed us the fact that positive correlation, which means a relationship, it doesn't tell us cause and effect, but a relationship between diabetic symptoms in a tendency to being unforgiving, which means the less forgiving you are, the more likely you have are to have higher blood sugars and have complications from it. And they found this correlation that was there, which was very, very interesting as they, they performed this research via interviews and assessment and measurements. Other studies told us that also with this month of, of being grateful, right? Giving thanks, being grateful. Studies have revealed and told us, reported uh, out of Berkeley, is that grateful people, including those grateful to God, a higher being, have been shown to have 9 to 13% lower hemoglobin A1C, which is a reflection of how well your blood sugar is controlled. And this is significant. So we understand there's power in love, love as action and forgiveness and gratitude. Remember that during this moments of November when we're giving thanks when we're giving thanks. Oh, what about the F? Well, we know it understands it's food, real food, plant-rich food, whole food, plant-based eating, no salt, no oil, and sugar, minimizing that as much as possible. That plant-based dietary intervention improves the beta cell. These are the things in insulin resistance that produce insulin as well as insulin resistance in overweight adults. And this was over a period of nearly four weeks that would, excuse me, four months that they looked at this and they found an improvement undergoing a low-fat plant-based dietary intake. Now, in this trial, what they did is they randomized individuals. Once again, they separated them out. A low-fat plant-based dietary intervention was found to reduce body weight, not surprising, uh, reducing energy intake, right? Because the fiber is going to be on terms of the calorie density scale. It's going to be a lower calorie density. So that's not surprising. And it increased the metabolism, right? The body's having to work for this. And these were associated with what? reductions in the hepatocellular and intramyocellular fat, which resulted in increased insulin sensitivity. There's power in the foods that we eat. Another study basically looked at the, the impact of the gut microbiome. Now we understand we're more bacterial DNA than we are actual human DNA. And what this study told us is the fact that a low fat vegan or whole food plant-based diet, it induced significant changes in the gut microbiota which was related to changes in weight, surprise to nobody, body composition, surprise to nobody. And guess what? Insulin sensitivity in overweight individuals. There's power in the foods that we choose. Another study, I tell you, I, there's so many. It's so, it's wonderful. I, I, I could stay here all day. That independent of body weight, the quality or the type of dietary fat and carbohydrate 
is more crucial than the quantity in determining diabetic risk. This means that the more, this is looking at the nurse's heart study, uh, study wasn't specifically randomized to a whole food plant-based, but a dietary assessment. And so what they found is if you chose foods that were higher fiber content that were plant sourced, they definitely improved and it really predicted and determined your risk. That's powerful. As we're making choices, every small amount matters towards an improved state of health. You do not have to live sick and die soon. Say other studies told us, Anderson and all, what they did here, they said, we're going to lock you up inside of a ward, right? And we're going to go ahead and we're going to give you the food. We're going to measure it out, how much activity you do. And they took lean men with type 2 diabetes. That means they look good. You're like, you have diabetes? I'm surprised. Who were taking insulin and placed them on a high carb, right? Carbs are not bad. Garbage is bad. High carb, high fiber diet with less than 10% of the calories from fat, 70% from carbohydrates, and 65 grams of protein, excuse me, fiber per day. We understand we're fiber deficient in this, this uh, country. And what they did was they kept made sure the body weights were stable by having this the part participants either eat more food or not if they lost weight. And so half of the participants were able to discontinue the insulin. Half discontinuing insulin. I grew up with my dad while eating, using insulin. And remember, they were all, uh, able to significantly reduce their insulin overall. The average insulin dose decreased from 26 units on the baseline diet to 11 units on the, on the high carbohydrate fat, uh, uh, diet too as well. Another study, you talk about disparities, about the socioeconomic ladder. This looked at uh, Latinos living inside of underserved, medically underserved areas, socioeconomically distraught. And what they found is they found that individuals who were in the experimental group who were able to uh, uh, um, undergo the plant-based diet, they were able to lower their hemoglobin A1C over a course of six months. This is significant. I'll tell you the source of it is really fiber. And when we look at the power of fiber, I'm going to tell you, we hear about Ozempic and Wagobi and all these things. And we understand that that fiber really does a very similar type effect. It, it increases the satiety hormone, signaling uh, these hormones like GLP-1 and, 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 and cholecystokinin and, and protein uh, YY, all these variables across our entire system is where fiber begins to work. What about the intimacy of relationships? We understand that loneliness is, is a perilous condition to be alone. And so the intimacy of being around other people that you trust and can put your guard down is so important. And so this study told us that socially isolated people are more prone to have newly diagnosed and prevalent diabetes. And this is a study that was done in Germany. Another study basically, and this is one I love so much, and this individual kind of explored what's called the, the social contagion theory, which means that good actions are contagious. And, and we're influenced by our, our friends and our, our constituents and researchers. They've looked at this and, and, and found that, that friends' habits can influence our own, whether good or bad. And so one indiv individual inspired by his grandmother's death from diabetes, Daniel Zugobi, he founded this microclinic international to promote healthy behaviors through small groups. And I'll tell you, it's so wonderful what he found. Their success in combating diabetes in other countries led them to try a similar approach inside of Kentucky, down south, where the rates of obesity and diabetes and high blood pressure were extremely high. Individuals undergoing this, they not only form close-knit relationships, 
but they begin to adopt healthier eating habits. And as a result, uh, uh, um, they were so impressive at the end of, of the time period, by the end of a 40 week period, 95% of participants showed significant improvements in multiple across multiple health indicators. We have to find our tribe. We have to find our group. We have to find our, where we belong of individuals who have who share the desire to live a healthful life that's that's resourceful. We understand that when we do this, as well as engaging, intimacy can come from our pets. They cause us to exercise. They cause us to engage in social interactions. They help reduce our, 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 our stress. And we understand they prevent the other effect, which is the blood sugar dropping too low. They're able to help us. It's powerful that's there. The S stands for sleep. Sleep and studies have told us that the results of, of poor uh, sleep quality is associated with increased hemoglobin A1C. We understand that there is a distinct relationship that's there and that sleep duration and quality are predictive of poor control. You need your rest. The body needs time to recess and lower that stress hormone cascade. We have to learn to laugh in life, humor, happiness, joy. These are the things that life is made of. And studies have shown us that when we engage in laughter with diabetes, they concluded in one particular study uh, published some about 20 some odd years ago, the present study elucidates the inhibitory effect of laughter has on the on the uh, peripheral uh, blood glucose levels, and it suggests the importance of daily opportunities for laughter in patients with diabetes. We have to laugh. We have to adopt all the principles of getting selfish. I want to tell you today, go ahead and get selfish this Thanksgiving. Go ahead and get selfish this November as we combat this idea of diabetes. I want to let you know that your DNA is not your destiny. And that's why when studies are looking at genetic risk, adherence to a healthy lifestyle and type 2 diabetes amongst individuals of nearly a million, a half a million individuals in China, the results were phenomenal. It showed that high that in those at high genetic risk of type 2 diabetes, 57% lower among participants with a healthy lifestyle than those with an unhealthy lifestyle. Lifestyle can change to sway the votes. It can move us away. It can lead us towards this idea of reversing. Some may say remission, but we understand there's power that's there. You have to continue to use your lifestyle as a form of therapy. And when you do, you're on the road to success. I want to tell you today, you, our job today is to get selfish. Once we achieve the goal of getting rid of diabetes, what's our purpose? Our, what's our sole purpose? Our purpose at that point is what? To live a life of purpose. We get selfish to live a life of purpose. That's what it's about. And so I'm so happy to share this information with you today. I'll be so happy to share even more information with you about the concept of getting selfish. I look forward to sharing more of that. I want to wish everyone a happy gratitude day. I want you to, to think about the things, three things every single day that you can give be grateful for simple things the air health the awareness of your body if you're in pain right that you have their body has the ability to detect something that's wrong that's powerful that's something to be grateful for that when you begin this process of gratitude all of a sudden life begins to come into perspective so it's been so i'm so pleased that you chose to spend a little bit of time with me today um go ahead and submit your questions Go on and log into the healthyheartdoc.org down in the show notes. You can get sign up for blogs. Continue to watch and support Chef AJ and these ventures. I look forward to connecting with you soon on the next go round. 
Thanks so much for spending time. And I look forward to seeing you again.